Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner, and together we explore the narrative of their injury prevention careers. Today we have the privilege of chatting with Dr. Judy Fleiter. Hello, Judy. Hello, Rod. Judy, I want to start uh, from the end of the conversation rather than the beginning. Um, we will get to what your current job and what you're currently doing. But uh, I'm going to ask you, is this the sort of job that you thought you might be doing when you left school? Never in a million years when I left school, Rod, would I, could I have even dreamed that I would be doing this kind of work ever. And even now, do you have any trouble trying to explain to somebody else what your kind of work currently is? I do at times, but um, I mean, I think when you ask that question, I think immediately of trying to explain, you know, to my closest family members, for example, what it is that I do. And they know the field that I've worked in for the last two decades. They know the topic area. Um, So I I, I guess I've honed a response to those kind of questions over recent years that does bring it back to a fairly... I don't want to say basic in a rudimentary sense, but a basic understanding of what it is that the average member of our community can understand that makes sense to them. So that's how I tend to answer the okay. question these days. Okay. So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to give me that answer. Mm. But before we actually get a handle on, and this is a bit like one of those old games of, of guess the occupation of this person, <laughs> Um can you tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day involves or in particular any time over the last two or three years? Because I know you've shifted a little bit in your emphasis over the last couple of years. But tell me a little bit about your day-to-day activities, and then we'll get back to working out the purpose of your, of your role. Mm, okay. Um, well, I feel in my time, I'm very fortunate, um, I, I feel in my time speaking with and learning from and providing guidance to people in a a broad range of countries and a broad range of contexts within those countries. So for the last five years, um, I've been working and supporting teams that work in uh, parts of Latin America, parts of Asia and parts of Africa. And so when I say supporting teams and providing guidance, that is, is um, you know, pre-COVID, that was being on the ground in various cities and countries uh, at meetings with, um, you know, some, sometimes some fairly senior government officials. Uh, other times it was uh, meeting with, you know, the NGO community who are working in, in the field. Um, other times it would be teaching courses, providing evidence-based measures um, that we know can help save lives. So a range of things, Rod, and even, you know, in, obviously including having meetings with the team that I manage to support our in-country partners. So it's, it's quite a diverse day-to-day depending on what the needs are. And then since early 2020, when the world changed, uh, unable to be in country to support our in-country partners face-to-face any longer and so needing to shift that to online support as best we have been able to do. Right and I'm starting to get a picture of the way you work although you've been very clever about steering clear of the exact topic but can I push you a little bit about your 
membership of the teams you talked about. You're bringing teams together that you work with in country. You have your own team. And then you've hinted that you talk across a range of uh, areas of, of function. So you talk about policy leaders and you talk about uh, people making change in the communities. Can you be very specific now about who it is you meet and what their jobs are? And then we can talk a little bit about how you bring all that together to achieve your goal. So I'm going to ask specifics here about when you turn up to a, a town or a community, uh, who do you meet on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, certainly very happy to elaborate more. So the, the, um, the program that I manage has a, a group of three teams and we're part of a broader coalition of international partners to support um, local agencies to improve road safety outcomes in Asia, Latin America and Africa. And so when uh, previously, when, when me or my team members, one or more of us would be in country, for example, we may be meeting with um, uh, non-government organisations that we provide grant funding to, to advocate for stronger laws, laws that are going to um, improve safety outcomes as people move around the community and use their, use their roads, you know, things like uh, explaining to people why it's important to have um, strict control of alcohol and, you know, what the blood alcohol concentration, what the evidence tells us, Rod, for example, about what the blood alcohol concentration level should be for drivers and riders using their roads, why it's important, the basics of why it is important for motorcycle riders to be wearing a helmet and not just to be wearing a helmet, but to make sure that the helmet is properly fastened, that the helmet meets a particular standard. So sometimes that's meeting with government agencies, people that are drafting new legislation and providing them with um, evidence and guidance as to what kinds of things should be drafted into that new bill. Uh, another team that I um, support, that I, that I work with are police officers and they work in country directly with police who are tasked with enforcing those laws. And so um, we have, we, you know, sometimes we meet directly with the police so that we can set up training opportunities so that my policing colleagues can then deliver that training directly on the roadside and in the classroom to police officers when they visit. So in many ways, that's fascinating to me because you seem to be cutting across areas of responsibility and it may be helpful for us to understand the organisation or the, the structures that you come from that allows you that scope of practice. Because we're used to our own local councils and depending on where in the world we're listening to this, your own governance structures in your communities and social settings. And there are high levels of government and there are industrial governance processes and uh, there are multiple different organisations which have responsibility for different parts of social society and then there are national governments and then there are international groups. How is it that you move through all of that in that sort of space that you're in? What's the authority and the and the process and the accountability in, in this thing that you're in? And then perhaps if you could explain that organisation to us just a little bit. Yes, yeah, certainly, Rod. And hearing you say that back to me actually reminds me that it's a very complicated space, isn't it? It's a... Um, the international, you know, the global road safety community, the national road safety communities, the local road safety communities, um, 
we hope all work hand in hand. And, and, and largely, I think my experience shows me that in some places that's true, but in other places, they're quite distinct and, you know, rarely communicate with each other. And I guess that's one of the big challenges we had, we have moving into this, this, you know, the United Nations has declared a second decade of action. So we have another 10 years of, uh, you know, trying to grapple and grappling properly with, um, the amount of lives that are being lost on the world's roads and the, the tremendous amount of traumatic injury that's being suffered by our populations every day. So the organisation that um, I belong to that allows me to do this, this amazing work is um, the, the Global Road Safety Partnership. It's an international NGO and it's actually um, a hosted program that belongs to the International Red Cross, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. And that came about because about 22 years ago, when uh, the Global Road Safety Partnership was founded by the International Red Cross, uh, the Red Cross had, had come to the conclusion that the, the amount of people that were being killed on the world's roads was a, a man-made, a person-made humanitarian crisis. And with uh, Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies being the largest humanitarian organisation in the world, um, they came to that to that reckoning fairly easily, I think, and decided to create this partnership. And so that, that is who I work for, the Global Road Safety Partnership. And as, uh, as part of that work, we do a range of things. One of the things that I do is I'm responsible for managing our organisation's input into um, a donor-funded program that spans those three regions of the world that I've already mentioned. Uh, and so that has a, a dual focus, if you like. There is a body of work that's focused on the national sphere in the countries in Africa, Asia and Latin America. Uh, and that is to bring in evidence-based legislation. So at the national level for where countries have responsibility at the national level for making law, our team works to support that. But for implementing those laws when they are in place, it's a much more city or state um, focused work. And that's where the policing component comes in. So often that's not a national police force or policing agency, it's city or state policing agencies that are tasked with enforcing the law. So that's, that's why our team is able to span all of those areas, I guess, um, Rod, that you mentioned. And with that, I think you've come back to where the conversations usually start and that's uh, where are you currently working and what do you do? So thank you very much for being so succinct in that and, and bearing with me in my journey. But I want to take us now right back to my opening comment about is this what you might have dreamed of doing when you left school? So this is really about you. How on earth did you get into this particular position now? And what sort of journey have you personally gone on since you started your education and your, in your work in the workforce? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's uh, not something I reflect on very often, but it's nice to actually stop and take that opportunity. Thank you. Uh, when I left school, I was probably 95% sure that I was going to be a teacher. Um, and at the time when I left school in Australia, we had to fill in six preferences, Rod, for a university course. And five of the six for me were teaching. Uh, my mother was a teacher and uh, I was one of those people who went through school and I seemed to fit the system and the system seemed to fit me. I enjoyed school, 
but I know I know that for many people school is not an enjoyable experience and they don't fit the system and the system doesn't fit them but I consider myself to be one of the fortunate ones who had a good time in that system and I'm grateful for that. The, the sixth option of six that I chose was uh, my parents weren't that happy about it actually because it was a course that had had no graduates yet. And that was worrying because my parents of course were concerned about how I was going to earn income, what job, what job I might get at the end of a course that did not yet have any graduates. And um, to cut that long story very short, it was, a, it was a Bachelor of Arts, a fairly generic one that covered lots and lots of territory. The important point to note in that is that it um, had some units in sociology and some units in psychology. And even, even as a young university student back then, it was clear to me that sociology was not my thing, but I really enjoyed psychology, psychology immensely. And so then for, I went to work in the aged care and disability sector and did that for a long time and loved it, loved every single minute of it. And I'd been working with people with dementia, um, caring for them in, a, in residential settings. And I'd worked in a, a palliative care unit as well at a, a major um, urban hospital. And it occurred to me that I wanted to do more study uh, in my late 30s, early 40s. And because psychology had been a pleasure for me first time round, I decided to go back and become a mature age student full time and to study psychology. And honestly, Rod, at the time, I thought I had a clinical um, experience in mind. I thought I would like to be a clinical psychologist working with people with cognitive impairment. Um, dementia had taught me a lot about caring for people when they're most vulnerable and watching the heartache of families dealing with that situation. And so I thought that was an area that I would like to. And in hindsight, that's an area I would still like. I'm sure I would have been very challenged by, but very happy in that profession um, because that did really appeal to me to support people in that way. As it turns out, my plans um, were dashed uh, only because I discovered another avenue in my first year of psychology that also appealed to me. And that was in the area of road user behavior. Uh, and so I started down that path uh, for my undergraduate studies and ended up with an honors and PhD in that area and then progressed to working in the international road safety space, both first of all for research as a postdoc with a postdoctoral position in China and then more latterly with the Global Road Safety Partnership. So it started out, um, you know, five sixths of the chance of being a teacher, but that one sixth of the chance that led me to psychology led me really to, to where I am today. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but um, that, um, that's the truth. Not so long-winded given the number of years that it covered <laughs> and uh, the insights that it gave you. Very prepared to see opportunity or see open windows and go through them, aren't you? Well, yes, I, I, yes, I suppose I am, yeah. I think the first time we met might have been when you were considering, I think just having finished your PhD, considering that opportunity for a clinical placement or in a, a experience in China with yes. the fellowship there, wasn't it? That's true. And that was all, I mean, that was quite daunting for me to think about living in another country as different as China is. And I had been there a number of times as a tourist. 
Um, but being there and living there intensely um, for two years was, yeah, that was a, a big decision. I'm not, I, I don't regret a single minute of that decision. It was an incredible opportunity. Met some fantastic people and um, had, had, had some wonderful times and reflect on that very warmly, rather the opportunities that that granted me. But I guess primarily if I, I, if I think now to my current position, you know, China is one of the countries that we work in. There are many others, but what, what that taught me is that you need to remain open to anything and everything because you come to whichever job you're doing, you come to it with your own experience and background and learnings, which are you know, critical to, to forming who you are. But having worked in the international space now for a good number of years, it, it just reminds me how important it is to remain open to other ideas and other ways of doing um, work, but, you know, other ways of living as well, personal life, but other ways of doing work and other ways of seeing things. It's just, it's really heightened my sensitivity towards that. And that even um, is relevant to how we understand our things that we understand best, isn't it? Sometimes I think that we're most concrete in our thinking around areas that we believe we're experts in. And your different experiences around the world to me seem to demonstrate the value of accepting local knowledge and, and people's perspectives and incorporating that into aiming towards a solution rather than simply cookie-cuttering a single uh, approach. Yes, 110% agree with that. And I think the other the, the, the benefit apart from working in all of these amazing countries with these amazing people locally, one of the, the great benefits for me also has been managing a team at the Global Road Safety Partnership who also come from all parts of the globe. So that, you know, we're a very multinational team of people who are supporting our local partners in, in the various countries. And so that just within our own, the, the team that I manage, that also brings a great range of of perspectives and when you know when it comes to the crunch about making decisions about something it's really it's been very enlightening for me to be able to sit back and have the benefit and you know the and and um, use the wisdom of my team members to guide decision making rather than just me or people from my own upbringing you know my own background making decisions it really it just enriches so much to have a team from so many parts of the world and that's so often overlooked, I think. The idea of getting collective knowledge and collective decision-making, it's quite an art being able to, to orchestrate that. But if you can get it, you can get a much better result, can't you, than a, an individual idea that seems to be um, pushed through. Yes, definitely, definitely. I totally agree. So let's put you back now as that um, careers advisor to a new generation of people just starting off. Uh, you could certainly attract them with a job that allows them to travel, meet people, go places, live in exciting countries. Uh, what else is there as a final statement about injury that you feel has created that, uh, that spark for you as opposed to one of the many other areas you could have taken your skills? You ended up being in an, an injury prevention or road safety area. And is that still... A living vital area for you and if so how has it lasted so long as an area that you really believe in what a great question um you know whether whether it's injury from people moving about their community in whichever mode of transport they do that walking cycling riding 
public transport, et cetera, whether it's that or injury, as I described earlier, having worked in the disability and aged care sector, the, I, I, if I think back to the, the, to, the, to the school version of me and what I would have, you know, lot, hoped to hear from a counsellor, I guess, it would, you know, the, the ability to make a positive difference in somebody's life. And when I was, when I was working closely with people day-to-day -day supporting families and the individual who was suffering from a dreadful cognitive impairment. That was at the coalface. That was the one-to-one -one interaction and being able to ease that burden for the person with the diagnosis or the family surrounding that person with the diagnosis, being able to ease that burden day-to-day -day in whichever way I could was very satisfying. It was heart-wrenching as I'm sure many people listening to this will understand and have experienced themselves. Um, fast forward to the work I'm doing now, I'm not necessarily at the coalface anymore. I mean, I've lost um, friends, close friends, and particularly growing up in high school um, to, to uh, road crashes. And I know people who've been injured in road crashes. Uh, the ability to make a positive difference, I think, Rod, is what cuts across the injury prevention sphere, no matter which, you know, which discipline or which topic area we're talking about. So I suppose when I think back to what's continued to um, excite me about working in this area, one is that, it, you know, that following the evidence of what we know can make a difference. And secondly, it's the fact that we can make a difference. There is the ability to reduce the amount of suffering that happens in the world, the amount of injuries, you know, whether they're fatal or serious or minor, there is the ability to reduce injury. And I think that's a, that I've often, you know, my team have often heard me say that ho hopefully that's what gets you out of bed and, and helps you come to work each day. The fact that you're making a contribution to, to making people's lives better. Thank you, Judy. Um, for the amount of time you've spent making people's lives better, but also for the last 30 minutes, where I'm sure there'll be people out there listening to this who will now be making decisions that are going to help the global future. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Rod, a great pleasure. We've been in conversation today with Dr. Judy Fleiter. For those of you wishing to learn more about the topics we discussed today, I encourage you to take a look at the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Remember, you can download Injury Prevention Podcasts from your favourite platform or app on the first Thursday of each month.